Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics. I'm Andrew Cooperwriter. Thank you guys for checking us out. If you'd like to support us, as always, please share, please like, please follow, subscribe. Podcast is on Spotify and other places. And, of course, Facebook, share us out. Share us out on YouTube, too, as well. If you want to support, you can buy coffee online. You can, of course, come into Brewed. Uh, there in Lexington, you can also donate. We are looking at the impeachment bill, looking at those legal fees on the impeachment of the governor, looking at a couple different things. If you'd like to help with that, and trust me, we're not done fighting there either. You can donate uh, anything there to donate.brewedco.com, donate.brewedco.com. You can also Check us out on broodco.com to buy online. There you go. There's my obligatory plugs for your support for our efforts for what we're doing. If you don't support us, well, what's it say that you're listening to me? I, I don't know. So let's break down some news for you guys. I haven't talked to you guys since Thursday last week. And on, I don't know about your guys' Facebooks, but on my Facebook, SB211, uh, Kentucky SB 211 has been making some rounds of discussion, and what mainly about it, it is a, a bill dealing with uh, police, specifically rioting, trying to deal with some rioting situations. And, and you know, I think we definitely have had some rioting situations. I think the bill, as it, um, as it goes far as addressing that, I think that is worth addressing. I think our police officers need some tools. Um, to deal with a rioting situation, I think that needs to come with some real repercussions for rioting and destruction of other people's private property. We all have a right to our property, and nobody should should be destroying that. However, there is a point of controversy amongst us liberty folk, uh, and that point of controversy comes in uh, if if you're looking at the bill that is SB uh, two eleven. And if you're looking at the committee sub one, um, if you go to, uh, let's see here, on page like 15, uh, section E has a nice little line in it that says, uh, basically a person is guilty of disorderly conduct in second degree in a public place with intent to cause public inconvenience, annoyance, alarm, or wanton creating of risk. Therefore, he uh, or she accosts, insults, taunts, or challenges a law enforcement offer with an offensive or derisive word or by gestures or other physical contact that would have direct tendency to provoke a violent response from the perspective of a reasonable and prudent person. Here's the deal, and this, and this is of real concern. Uh, one is we all have a First Amendment right uh, to free speech, and that means sometimes people are going to do things with that free speech you don't necessarily agree with. And sometimes one of those things is they say mean things to public servants that maybe they shouldn't say. And and and, and I will say this to anybody out there: um, you should be nice to police officers, mainly because the average person commits like four or five crimes a day without even realizing it, and it is their discretion. Uh, to not charge you with those crimes. And you should recognize that they're doing you a favor by not charging you for like jaywalking across the street or whatever you're doing. So recognize that when it comes to police, they are doing some things uh, and, and, and they are showing you some discretion. And in general, they are people. Um, they are people. That being stated, 
Um, so do not take my my problem with this particular part of the bill as not support for police or telling people they should be swearing or being rude to police. And I understand we've got a big problem with these riots and these and these and these um, protest lines getting in the face of these officers. And I think there's a better way to approach this than to sit there and say, hey, if you cost you insult or taunt or challenge a law enforcement officer with offensive or derisive words, first off, it is a very um, open-ended um, statement to make. That's a very open-ended law, and, and it leaves yourself to ask a lot of questions. Like, for an example, under this law, would it be now considered a um, a, a disorderly conduct in the second degree if I stand outside of a police station and give it the bird, and I'm not saying anybody should do that. Don't do that. Don't be stupid. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves if in America, somebody standing outside of a police station flipping at the finger, do we really want them to go to jail? In fact, do we really want to see a increase in charges for somebody? Listen, I, I don't know if anybody's ever been arrested before uh, out there. Um, I have not. I've not actually been arrested before, but I know I've been pulled over before uh, for speeding, and I don't want in a moment where possibly a person could be upset uh, because they're getting a ticket because they're having a negative interaction. And, 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 and remember, guys, officers do have discretion, and there are times where people are upset. And do I really want somebody getting charged extra, getting, getting more, more legal charges because they drop an F-bomb in front of an officer after they get a ticket or they get mad at an officer? And, and, and like I said... Uh, if, if words are words, right? I mean, in a in a way, um, I don't want to see. Now, granted, um, that doesn't mean that you should be swearing at officers. Once again, I remind you, they can probably charge you with a lot of other things. They're not, but. I don't want to see a person who's probably at one of their lowest points. I mean, think about this. Anytime you're interacting with officers, it's probably not a really great time. And we as people have to understand, even if we're doing jobs like officers are, or I saw an email earlier that a person got back from the unemployment office where an individual from the unemployment office was mad at them because they had used, uh, in their words, a, a bad home or they were upset in an email that they wrote the unemployment office for how long it was taking to, frankly, to to deal with their situation. And then, and then that unemployment officer has, has the nerve to respond with, can you please be nicer? These people have been waiting for months to get paid out their claims, and you're sitting there saying, you need to be nicer. Their lives are hanging in the balance, and you got to understand that. you got to understand, you may be doing your job, but to the person on the other end of the side of things, as a government employee, you have to understand that you may be doing your job, but you are greatly and negatively affecting someone else's life. And sometimes they're going to be upset. And they're going to say mean words. And you just got to get over that. You just got to get over that. And sitting here saying, hey, we're going to charge you with a class two, um, so, or I'm sorry, a second degree disorderly conduct, which by the way, that is the thing that the ABC is accusing me of creating disorderly conduct by ignoring the governor's orders. That's what they're accusing me of to take away my ABC license. I, I don't think a person, if they're getting arrested and says mean things to an officer, should get a, additional charges. I think that's a wrong thing to do. I understand we need to respect our officers. And I think that deals with more of a cultural thing. I don't think we needed rewind some decades ago and people weren't really cussing out the police when they were getting arrested a whole lot. We didn't need a law to deal with it. It's clearly a culture issue. It's a culture issue of just understanding and respecting 
the process. Well, at the same time, we need all to do a better job of understanding and respecting the officers do that they're dealing with a person at some of their lowest points of their lives and they're going to be upset. And because they say some mean words to a cop doesn't need to make it worse. That's my personal opinion on HB 211. It is not a, a endorsement of swearing at officers. You shouldn't do it. Don't do it. But I do think charging individuals with, uh, in, in, with crimes for saying naughty words in America is, is quite frankly ridiculous no matter who they're saying it to. That is just my personal opinion. Feel free to disagree with me. But that's where I'm falling on that one. Next year, um, let us fight. Let us fight the mandates, right? HB 360. Now, this is an important week in the legislative season, okay? And the reason why this is an important week in the legislative season is because it is the last week that we can have uh, a real veto-proof bills. So bills such as um, the mass bills and things like that we're going to talk about, if you actually want to get them done, these are the, the bills that the, the governor will not agree with. If we actually want to get them done, we need to pass them now. We need to pass them now because that's the only way they're going to be veto-proof over the next week. And so understand this. Any controversial bills, any bills that is uh, the Republicans reigning in the governor um, passed after this week uh, um, that the governor would veto are not real. They're not real bills. They didn't really want to pass them. Don't let them – don't fall for it. Don't let them convince you that they wanted to do something and the governor stopped it is is okay is is that hey we tried but the governor stopped it no you didn't if you want to get any of these things done you got to pass them this week and what we're realizing is we've gone this entire session and whether it is because of of hb1 or sb1 and and sb2 getting held up in court it doesn't matter you could keep passing these bills that rein in the governor and keep passing them and passing them and passing them and and tie up the courts tie them up i don't care but just keep passing laws, but you haven't actually successfully succeeded in doing anything on the COVID front for Kentuckians. You haven't succeeded at it at all, and you need to do it. And one of the most important things you can do right now for the future of Kentucky, if you want to see COVID uh, uh, to be fought off, if you want to see Kentuckians pushing back, if you are really a Republican that is standing for the freedom, you need to pass HB 360, which would stop the governor from being able to take the business licenses, the ABC licenses, business licenses, food licenses, any licensing at all from any business pushing back against a mandate. This is an important tool in the chest that allows businesses like me that are willing and want and able to take a stand, to take a stand and say, no, I'm not doing it. And all that the all all that they can do is possibly get an injunction and it gets real iffy from there, right? And and, and this is why. And this is why. So take our case, right? What happened? What happened is the health department took our license and then they went to the court and got an injunction on us to stop operating. Not not because of the mandates, but because we didn't have a food license anymore that they took away. So if you stop them from being able to take away the food license, now they have to prove in court that my operating of a business is somehow uh, allegedly, which is harmful to, to the general health and, and, and welfare of the area, allegedly, um, that it is true. You have to provide proof and evidence. And as we saw with the CDC report on masking and closing of businesses, closing of indoor dining, 
only had a measurable effect on the rise of the death rate on COVID when you get 100 days out and it's 3% and the p-value is so high on that. It, and the, the basically the CDC came out with a study that, that proved a small minuscule amount, maybe masking, closing indoor dining helped with thinking, hey, we proved it's helping, not realizing what they really were showing us, much like Elizabeth Warren when she came out with her one 1,000th and 24th Indian and then turning around saying, look at that, I'm actually Indian, much the same way, much the same way they came out the study saying, look at that, mass help. And the whole rest of the world looked at this study and said, oh my gosh, masking and closing of businesses didn't help. It didn't do anything. It maybe at the most resulted in a in a, a two to three percent reduction at the most a hundred days out, and even then that that is based upon a very um, interesting p value, which means that the the other hypothesis is more likely. Um, and so basically, they they couldn't prove that masking indoor dining did anything. And so in order to sit there and now with HB 360, it creates a lot more interesting of an argument in court and it creates a lot better situations for businesses to be able to take a stand against these types of tyrannies and survive and make it and not be faced with a choice between losing your business or losing your business and instead have much better option. It'd be more worth it for you to fight than it is for you not to. And that's how we really start getting this going. And that is HB 360. If they really want to rein in the governor, if they want to see the Kentuckians stepping to it and taking this governor down to size, they need to pass HB 360. If they want to see that mass civil disobedience. If you, if you didn't realize it, that if they don't pass this at this point, they don't want us to fight back. They really don't want us to. And that is something you have to understand. They need to pass this if they want people to fight back. Speaking of bills that if they really want to pass, let's talk about HB 151. And let's be real honest, Republicans, okay? Let's be real honest. Let's bring it in, all right? I go to your meetings, okay? I go to your, your party meetings. I go to your, your, your women Republicans, Central Kentucky meetings. I go to your young Republican meetings. I go to your Tea Party meetings. I go to all of them. And the last time I saw a person I knew that was a Republican wearing a mask in the last month and a half was a Mitch McConnell staffer, okay? So it probably was actually a, a Democrat. And so what, because, <laughs> you know, what is Mitch McConnell but a Democrat? Anyways, and so what we end up seeing uh, is I know how you all stand on this. We all know. HB 151, the mask law that's sitting in committee still in the Senate Health and Wellness Committee that needs to get moving if you want to take away these mask mandates, which is going to linger. Mask mandates will linger. I promise you this. It will be six months from now, and it'll suddenly the flu season will come back, and it'll be a bad flu season, and they'll be like, oh, well, you might as well throw on a mask, even though the CDC study, which I just talked about, clearly makes it it clear masking only at the most resulted in a 2% reduction in, in, in case growth, which is barely anything at all. But anyways, um, you know, they're going to try to roll it out for, you know, a bad flu season, something like that. And, and, and just quite frankly, um, it's quite frankly ridiculous. The entire idea, and, and, and I hear the critics of this saying, hey, listen, it's just a mask. Just put it on. And you know what? I understand where you're coming from there. It is a simple thing, putting on a mask, right? Very simple. 
However, there's an idea behind it. And that idea is I am somehow responsible for your health. And I'm not. In this country, if you drop drop down having a heart attack next to a doctor who's not in a hospital, who's just out in public, they have no legal um, they do not have any, uh, legality speaking, legally speaking, they do not have to treat you. You do not have a right to another person's time. You do not have an, uh, another right to them. And that is the concept that the mask law really deals with and pushing back on is this idea that if you're worried about a sickness, that means other people have to do something. No, that means you need to do things. You need to stay at home. You need to be more careful. You don't get to tell other people what they need to do because of your fear. Because that's the same thought process to say, hey, why don't we have five mile an hour speed limits? Why don't we do it? Why don't we have five mile an hour speed limits? How you're worried about car accidents? Let's have it. You know what? Shoot. Let's take away cars. I mean, after all, greenhouse gases, right? Let's just take them away. You all walk around everywhere because, you know, well, then you might trip and fall. So um, actually, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to um, have you all sit in motorized uh, uh, chairs and wheel around everywhere because we don't want you to trip and fall and kill yourself, right? And, and hey, you know, it, it's, it's this crazy idea, this crazy thought process that because of my fears, you have to do something. And that's what the mask law is, is pushing back on. So that's HB 158, and it says you cannot require masks as a government. Nothing's stopping these businesses. I was reading a, a funny article where it was talking about how businesses couldn't claim it was just the government mandates they were following anymore, and they actually had to stand by their policies. That sounds to me like businesses don't want to have to take accountability for the decisions they would make. So... Essentially speaking, uh, you now have these large corporations that are worried about being stuck in the middle here um, because it, it, as these places open up, they still have corporate policies about masking because if they drop them, they're worried they'll get canceled by the left. But now they're losing business from the people on the right who aren't wearing masks because they're like, hey, this is stupid. People are vaccinated. If you're worried about stay home. And so now these corporations are in a spot where they don't know what to do. And instead of, you know, being, instead of owning up for their actions, they now are whining and complaining that their buddy, the crony capitalist government, isn't uh, there to go ahead and, and bail them out and give them a, a, a made-up reason, which, by the way, it was made up. From the very beginning, you could just say, I see you're not wearing a mask. You must have a medical condition and never have to worry about it again. Trust me, I've had three mask violations dismissed. That's all you have to say. And, and it, it isn't real. You just think it is. But it, it, it's, it's a game of misinformation, funny enough, that the government employees have played to make you think you have to do anything more than that. But anyways, um, and, and so they don't want to have to take accountability for their policy decisions and possibly lose business. And so they're asking the government to keep these mask mandates in place. That is dangerous. That is dangerous. Um, that we've all seen these giant corporations get their ways on a lot of things. We've all seen this, this cronyism take place from both the Democrats and Republicans. And, and quite frankly, that is gross and it's disgusting. And if Kentucky doesn't want to be beholden to that, we need to pay, pa pass HB 158 to say if a business wants to require a mask, they can. I'm cool with that. Require a mask. If you want to require a mask, require a mask. I don't care. I don't care what you do. If you want to require me to wear a poncho. If I walk into your business, they require me to wear a poncho. I don't care, right? And then I can make my decision on whether or not 
I want to come there and put on your poncho. Okay, but you don't want to own up for for your decisions. So you're asking the government to make it easier on you. And, you know, uh, HB 158, we need to pass that to make sure that these companies are held accountable. SB 8 vaccine bill. It's cleared the House committee. It's passed the Senate, passed the House Wellness Committee. That is the no required vaccine. SB 8 needs to be passed this week. It is ready to be passed. It is good to go. House vote on it. Pass it. Let's make it so vaccine, the code vaccine cannot be a, a, a required thing uh, here in Kentucky at all. Let's protect our citizens against that. That's SB8. Now, I've been hearing this a lot after HB208 got passed. I've been, I've been hearing this um, from a lot of people. In fact, I believe it was old, old buddy. Who was it? Was it Alvarado? Ah, oh, geez, oh, Pete's. I don't know who it was, but one of the senators actually on the floor on HB 208, that's the school bill, said, if you're mad about what's going on, go to your school board and run for school board. First off, that's the biggest cop out anybody's ever said. It said, if you don't like it, you run for office, which we've been seeing that a lot recently because we're getting under their skin. But more importantly, the HB 208 debate needs to be framed in then. If you really think... Um, that the school board's at fault here. You're wrong. So, so here's the bottom line. The school board, there is a, the school board, the schools get money from the states. In order to give them that money, the states have a statute that requires in-person schooling only 10 NTI days. The governor suspended that statute, which allowed them to keep getting their funding with being NTI only. That was the problem we were asking the state to fix. It was a state-created issue, and your response of saying that if you don't like it, run for school board is the equivalent of if somebody breaks into my house and steals my stuff and I call the cops, the cops saying, if you don't like it, go steal your stuff back from them. Don't call us about it. You're the one funding them. You're the one who has the law in the books. You're the one who's allowed them to do it in the first place. Yes, it is your job at the state level to fix the problem because you enabled it. You enabled it. Yes, we understand the school boards have been doing this or that, and we all know that the unions control that school board hardcore. There is sometimes there is way more money a lot of times in school board races than there is than there is in some House and Senate races in this state. There's more money donated on school board races. It is a big money race. We're talking 30, 40, 50 grand sometimes race, sometimes more in these school board races. It is big money for these unions. They put a lot of money behind there, right? Remember the Kentucky Department of Education or, or pays tons of money. Fayette County Public Schools, 20 grand this last year. And, 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 and this year alone in lobbying fees, 20 grand. There's big money in these school board races. It's big. You can't just sit there and say, if you don't like it, you run for school board. Well, you know what? Shut up. Just shut up. You're supposed to fix this problem. You enabled the problem. Get it fixed. Okay, stop telling us, oh, well, you, if you don't like it, you need to run. You know what? You need to do your job. You need to do your job or we'll replace you. How about that? Because you're the one enabling it. Get it changed. Sorry. I just, I just, I hate when I'm hearing these, these representatives somehow pushing the blame onto their constituents when they vote badly. You vote badly, own it. Just own it. Let's get some darn accountability in our government. You messed up, own it. You messed up unemployment, Bashir. It's been a year. You're the worst state in the country. 
own it. You messed up with HB 208. You passed the bill at the House not realizing it said exactly what we said it did. You got it into the Senate and you freaked out and you didn't know what to do. So you passed it. And when you got a bunch of pissed off parents calling you, you want to blame the school boards. Own it. You did wrong. Just own it. Just own it. That's my stuff on state issues. Um, I, I, I know I covered a lot. Real quick, SB 211, no swearing at cops. That's just kind of interesting. I believe it's right now got its second reading in committee. I don't know what's going to happen with it. Who knows if it goes forward? There's definitely some constitutionality issues there. HB 360, that's about the licenses. They need to get that passed now. HB 158, the mask law, it's sitting in health committee there. Alvarado's the chair of that one. Hit him up with some emails. SB 8, that's that vaccine bill. It's cleared the House committee. They need to vote on it now. HB 208, um, that that one's already passed. That was me ranting about the school board. So uh, let's talk about the minimum wage. That has been of debate recently. I've even made some posts about it myself. And I, I just want to touch on it. I want to arm some people and and not as much educate i don't think educating is as important as making people realize a couple of just key facts understand okay first thing you have to understand is what are you really saying when you say i want to raise minimum wage your problem isn't actually that people don't make enough money your problem is is you want to buy more with that money with the money you make now, you, the, the simple uh, way of looking at that is to say, oh, I just need to make more money and then um, I can buy more things. But at the end of the day, your goal is to buy more, whether that's buy more even basic things, food, housing, uh, things like that, or whether it's more abstract things or wants like TVs and cars and things like that. You want to buy more gas so you can go farther, right? You want to be able to buy more. It's not about making more money. It's about wanting to buy more. And to understand, if the minute you stop talking about, I want more money, I want to buy more, you start looking at different solutions to the problem. Because the real problem then is not I want to make more because we all know that with these massive stimulus funding, with a $15 minimum wage, you would get inflation. It's just simple. If $7.25 starts making $15, people who make $10 are going to want to make 18, 19, 20. People making 20 are going to want to make more money too. Everybody has to go up in money. Now, now as everybody goes up in pay, really simple, real easy. The cost of labor goes up. The cost uh, to manufacture, make, harvest uh, items goes up. And, and as that cost goes up, shipping costs go up because everybody's got to get paid more. And now you're right back to where you started. $15 an hour just becomes worth $7.25 and the same amount of dollars because that is what the cost of things are. That is, the cost has risen up. Your money doesn't go as far because everybody's getting paid more. Real simple idea here. If everybody makes more money, nobody makes more money. That's just a simple idea for you guys to kind of understand. If, 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 if now the top people, maybe their pay doesn't go up, but you're going to see everybody else's pay going up. The cost of raw materials and goods goes up. Everything goes up. It's going up. Now, Minimum wage is an imperfect tool to a simple, uh, that was a, a problem that we don't have anymore. And I know what you guys are thinking. What? We don't have the problem anymore? Listen, minimum wage was simply instituted because of an idea, because at some points in our lives, there was something, uh, there was a labor uh, monopoly. There's a market on the uh, a monopoly on the labor. Basically, 
You'd have some fringe employers, but if you had one factory in town or something like that that employed 50%, 60% of the town, they could dictate uh, what the wages were for the rest of the town and take an unfair advantage of the workers in that town by saying, well, you know, you guys aren't going to go anywhere. You can't find any other jobs, so I'm going to pay you as little as I can, and and I can get away with that because you don't have any choices. We don't have that problem anymore because we have something called the internet. In fact, uh, it's incredibly easy to find a job now, um, for the most part, up until recently with, with higher unemployment rate, COVID, everything else. But before that, being an employer, I can tell you one of the hardest things to understand was it was very hard to find. Staffing was a big problem. You can talk to restaurants. You can talk to labor companies. You can talk to any staffing has been a big issue over the past several years during Trump era. And the reason why is because unemployment was so low, there are so many jobs to choose from. And I found myself even having to raise my wages up in order to compete and bring in labor, right? And, and so you're not seeing a lot of companies that are hiring uh, individuals in Lexington paying $7.25 an hour. You just don't, right? Even we ourselves at Brood, we pay somewhere between $8.50 to $10 an hour base. And then you also get tips on top of that. It equals out to about $10, $11 an hour. You have to pay that much if you want to attract in labor in this market because the competition exists, because the internet exists, and because it's not a closed labor market anymore. If you want to find a job in California while sitting in Kentucky, you can. That's why the minimum wage, it was an imperfect tool to stop uh, an employer from getting a, a um, monopoly on a market and then taking advantage of that. You don't have that anymore. In fact, you have the opposite effect. You have an employer like Amazon that comes into Kentucky and to Lexington, starts saying, I'm going to pay 15-hour minimum wage, and now that immediately boosts everybody else's wages they have to pay in order to keep attracting in labor, especially when there's a low downturn in, in, in the cost of labor. Now, going back to what's you don't want to, you don't want more money, you just want to buy more things. You want to get more things, right? Why are you turning to your employers telling them, you got to pay me more money instead of turning to the government and say, hey, why don't you stop taking your 30% VIG off my check? And why don't you stop charging my employer 30% VIG off his check? To, to pay somebody $10 an hour, it costs me as an employer about 13 If the government stopped taxing everybody, right? If I pay an employee $10 an hour, they take home seven. It's costing me 13 if the government stopped taking income out of them and taxes from me, that would double their pay almost right away. And it wouldn't raise the cost of anything because your employer's out the same amount of money. If you want more money, you should be not turning to the government to say, force him to pay me more. You should be turning to the government saying, you, the middleman who's taking your VIG, you need to take less. Because you're artificially increasing the cost of goods and items. So on top of that, let's take, talk about things like a gas tax. You pay about 50 cents a gallon in taxes at least on a, on, a, on a gallon of gas, depending on where you are. You pay probably at least 50 cents a gallon. That's an artificial increase the government is creating. It may be a necessary tax. It may not. That's up for debate. But at the same time, that is an artificial increase the government is doing. 
The government takes, it doesn't provide. Now you may be asking yourself, why are there so many people pushing this $15 an hour minimum wage? Intelligent people pushing these ideas of minimum wage out there that clearly understand exactly what I'm saying, that the cost of everything is going to go up. Here in a couple of years, $7.25 an hour will have the same buying power that $15 an hour would have, and it'll just readjust, and everybody's going to end up at the same point. You're just going to add some money onto it, but what you can buy with it, what you can do with it will remain the same. Why are they pushing for it? Simple. It's very simple. Debt. You know what doesn't change? See, if everybody gets paid more, the amount of money being brought into the federal government goes up. Just does, right? They're taking 30% of 10 now. They're getting $3 plus my 30%. So they're getting six per hour that a person being paid 10 an hour works. Now that person's being paid 20, but their percentages stay the same, they're now getting $12 an hour for every hour that person works because they just upped the pay. But you know what stayed the same? The raw amount of debt they owe. Which means now your debt to income ratio gets a little shifty shift. It gets shifted. And now I can borrow more and I can spend more and I can claim to solve more of your problems. Right? That's why they're pushing for it so much because the easiest way to pay down a debt is just to make more money. And if I just start requiring these employers to pay me more money, I start getting a bigger VIG. I start getting a bigger percentage. I can pay down my debt. But that's not what they'll do. No, they're going to go ahead and borrow more. My receipts are up. I can borrow more. I'm going to borrow more money to provide no, no value to anybody, of course. I'm going to take my VIG or I'll provide value that private charity can do. And I'm going to push for something that doesn't work. Proof positive it doesn't work. If minimum wage kills poverty so much, why don't these poor impoverished countries like in Africa, you know, South America, like in uh, Eastern Europe, like in Asia, why don't they just put a minimum wage? Why are we talking about 15 an hour? Let's send that to the moon. Let's send that. Let's make it $100 an hour. Nobody needs to live in poverty. <clears throat> The minute somebody tells you that we need to lift minimum wage and that's what lifts people out of poverty, just ask them why it's 15. Why is it 15? And this argument that says, well, you know, because you got to keep up with inflation and wage stagnant and growth. My argument would be if we had been upping the minimum wage, would you have seen a bigger a rate of inflation? Yes, you would have. Because once again, everybody's pay's got to go up. The only reason, part of the only reason our inflation has stayed so low might be to do with our minimum wage being so low. Considering the amount of money we're printing, I'm not saying our inflation has stayed low. We've seen some skyrocketing inflation recently. Have you been in the grocery store recently? Those groceries are getting expensive. So, minimum wage. It's, it sucks. It's useless. It doesn't do anything. The minimum wage in Lexington isn't 725. Legally it is, but that isn't it. If you're an adult over 18, you're making 10, you're making 12 an hour, about, at least, on the low side. If you want to make more than that, go down to Amazon, get a job making 15 an hour. It exists. It's there, right? That's my point. My point is, is 
you it, to it is a it is a disingenuous argument to say you have adults in towns like Lexington and in in these large cities making seven twenty five an hour. The people you make seven twenty five an hour in very small towns with very small, low cost of livings as an adult, and to sit there and say they can't afford to live on that, maybe they can. I mean, if 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 I'm walking down the street and I'm living in a place that's really cheap, cost of living, right? I mean, the people pushing for this live in large towns with high cost of livings too. They sit there and they say, I couldn't live on 725 an hour in this town. No, you couldn't. That's why nobody in that town gets paid 725 an hour. By definition, it's a living wage or you would be dead. That's all I got to say about minimum wage. It's, it's just a real pet peeve for me because it is so simple. It is a simple argument to take down just by simply stating, why don't we just, why don't just impoverished countries raise a minimum wage? It's so good for poverty. Right? Why, why do we stop at 15? Why not raise it to the moon? Right? Nobody's got to be poor. And it's quite clear and it's quite reasonable why you don't. And it's just, it's just stupid. I, I'm sorry. It's, just, it's, it's a very disingenuous argument taking care, taking advantage of people who are not super intelligent so the government can in turn make more money in receipts to pay off debt slash borrow more because they've got a spending problem. Right? I digress there. Once again, guys, share this out. You can donate, donate.broodco.com. Um, broodco.com. You can shop there. Um, come check out the coffee shop. Order online. You can get some great coffee. We do make a great cup. As far as that goes, it is warm out. Iced coffee season. This Saturday, we'll be going out to eastern Kentucky to help dig out. If anybody's ever done that before, I've done some flood relief back in the day. About five, six years ago, I volunteered digging out for several days down in eastern Kentucky. Um, I think it was a little longer ago. Uh, it was eight years ago, nine years ago. I did some digging out there in eastern Kentucky. I can tell you it's dirty work. Wear clothes you can throw away. That is devastation there. We'll be meeting at Brood at 7.30 a.m. We will caravan down there. Where is there? I don't know yet. I'm talking to some people about their needs down there, trying to get it in place. It may just be me. It may be a bunch of people. I don't know, but show up with a shovel. Bring some stuff if you want to donate water, food, things like that. Let's get that taken care of. Because we can't say we don't need the government. Private charity can take care of it and then not take care of the people. Right? We need to step up when we need to. That's what being a conservative, that's what being about liberty and freedom means. It means people take care of each other, not because they're forced to, but because they want to. That being stated, guys, everybody have a great evening. Thank you for joining me. Share it out. Check it out on Spotify. Have a great night.